What's up, queens and royals? I'm your host, Angel, and you are listening to Awakened Love, a podcast on sex, love, and awakening. And these are the conversations to evoke the wise, wild, woke one within you. Let's go deep. What's up, beautiful awakened humans? Today we have Alexis Haynes on the podcast. Alexis is a former reality TV star turned spiritual seeker. She's the host of her very own podcast, Recovering from Reality, which I've had the privilege to be a guest on twice. And she is a recovery advocate. She's been sober since she was 19. She is the author of Recovering from Reality, a doula, a mama, a wife. And I am so incredibly grateful to have here with us today. Welcome, Goddess. Thank you so much for being here. I'm so excited to do this. It's been almost two years since you joined me on my podcast and since I've been following you and your journey and learning from you. And it is just, it's an honor to be here. So Thanks. Oh, it's an honor to have you here, Mama. I feel like so much has happened for both of us in and the world in just two years, the right? Collective, <laughs> right? It's like, wow. Yeah, what an opportunity to do more work. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, anyone listening resonate with that? It's been a wild, weird ass two years. What an opportunity to do more work. Yes, Mama. Uh, I'd love just for our listeners who are new to you. If you could share a little about your story, you have a pretty incredible story. Yeah. So whatever feels aligned and inspired to share today. Well, I'll give a brief background. I know we want to dive into sexuality and really coming home to who we really are. That's my, um, that's my theme for this year is welcome home, really like mm. honoring myself, my needs, my desires, um, and not just honoring them, but taking action, uh, yeah. to support myself. So, um, but it took a lot of work to get here because I grew up, um, in a really chaotic and traumatic, uh, environment. My dad was a, a very angry alcoholic who, uh, was, abusive towards my mom and abusive towards me physically violent. I grew up in a household where there was incest. I started being um, sexually abused at the age of four and that went on for several years. Um, I would then later be abused by babysitters, sexually abused by babysitters, my dad's girlfriends, um, and then later raped when I was 17 by a really powerful man in the um, film and television and, you know, like the industry kind of area arena. Um, So I turned to drugs and alcohol to cope because that's all my family knew how to do. We had so much, this lineage of ancestral trauma um, coped with a very volatile world, limited coping skills and, an abundance of drugs and alcohol in my household. And so by the time I was in middle school, I was pretty much a full-blown addict. Um, And what ended up happening was I was working in the film and television industry. I ended up getting my own reality show. 
um, with that came money because there was times where my dad was working. My dad was one of the head top um, DPs in the industry. He worked on friends for eight years and all of that, but he eventually his addiction became so bad. He was homeless for a big chunk of my childhood. And so with the show came money and with money, my addiction just went wild. By the time that I was 19, I was a twice convicted felon who had literally burned her entire life down on national television, who had no really nowhere to go. It was like, either you're going to die or you're going to shift. Like that's kind of, it's that, um, pressure point. And it's so interesting because I really look back on the last 10 years. I've been sober now for over 10 years. Um, the last 10 years of my recovery and, uh, and it's been pretty much continuous pressure. Like the pressure hasn't necessarily let up. Like life continues to show up for me in lots of ways. It's like grow, 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 grow. Right. Whether that's like miscarriage or, uh, really challenging financial stuff, or I almost died. I had three blood clots in my right lung. Um, I've dealt with suicidal depression and sobriety. I've dealt with so much um, pain, and I'm so grateful. There's this incredible book by Pema Children, The Places That Scare You. And Mm. I remember reading that in my early sobriety when I thought, that my feelings were literally going to kill me. That's what I thought. I thought my feelings, I was like, I'm dying. This is it. Like my anxiety is so bad. I'm literally going to die right now. Um, and I, I remember learning how to shift into that peaceful warrior. And Mm -hmm. so it's not that life has necessarily, it's gotten easier in a lot of ways, of course, when you remove yourself from, from that. But I think that a lot of people, their goal is to just coast, like the, everything just be easy breezy. Right. And it's not for me, it's not, and this is where recovering from reality, the name of my podcast came from. It was like, I, I went from wanting to check out of my reality all the time, which I think we can do even through spirituality and like this toxic positivity that you see in our arena a lot. I went from mm-hmm. wanting to check out of my reality to being so in love with my ra- my reality, even the darkness of it, that I wanted to dive into it. I wanted to mm-hmm. check into my reality. And so what happened was this beautiful unfolding of my life didn't necessarily get easier, but it did get easier because my perspective changed. My ability to ground myself changed. Who I was as a person changed. And so the mountains and the valleys no longer, they are mountains and valleys sometimes, Mm -hmm. but they don't feel like mountains and valleys. They feel Mm -hmm. like little speed bumps and opportunity. And and right now I'm, I'm going through heartbreak. I told you in, in the beginning of, of this episode, I'm, go, I'm going through heartbreak, real heartbreak, because this relationship that I w- was in really felt so perfect. Like, And she felt it too, which mm. we knew. Like, 
this, this is magic. Like this, this is this, like, you don't find this all the time. Right. And, and it's over or at least over for now. And these type of things used to just throw me off the edge. I would do whatever I could to cope, which would be jump into another relationship that was normally really toxic, you know, eat my feelings away, work out my feelings away, have sex, my feelings away, Mm. drug use, my feelings away. And Mm. it's like, I am no longer afforded the luxury of checking out because it is a luxury as much as it feels awful in the end of it, in the beginning, it is the luxury of being able to like have that glass of wine or smoke that joint or what I don't have that luxury. I can no longer do that because um, my relationship with that behavior is just really tricky. So Mm. um, yeah. So what's so interesting though, so obviously a lot of healing had to transpire in order for me to get to this place. And, um, but we want to shift the conversation to my sexuality um, and what is what the what's going on in my partnership because I think this is so interesting that I've been married for nine years to a man mm-hmm. and we are we are each other's pe- like he is my person I am his person and then most recently we decided to open up our marriage and a lot of people are like why you have the most perfect relationship why would you ever want to open this up you you have this dream life with this stoic man who is so tapped into his divine feminine energy and just so balanced and you have these beautiful kids why would you want to do this um it's a great question and so it's just so interesting because um the feedback that you get is either why or like that's so selfish. Mm. And why, why, why that perspective or where does that come from when they say it's selfish? I think um, we've been sold the lie that love is possessive, that we, we, we live still in a very like puritanical society that deems some things as okay. And some things as not okay where we feel possessive over not just our things, right? We're, but we feel possessive, possessive over people because we're afraid that, um, that we're unlovable and unworthy. We've been fed that lie for so long. Do you want to know which goddess archetype you are most like in love and sex? I have a free quiz that takes just a few minutes and we identify the most dominant goddess archetype that shows up for you in the bedroom and in love. And then I break down the shadow side, the integrated side, and the bridge between them. So the keys that you need if you are in the shadow side of this archetype, the keys you need to move into the more integrated expression of this goddess in your love and sex life. This has been life-changing work for me. It's so simple, it's so powerful, and I'm so excited to share it with you. So the easiest way to find the quiz is to head on over to my Instagram, which is at Angelika Alana, A-N-G-E-L-I-K-A, 
A-L-A-N-A and click the link in my bio and you'll see the button to take the free quiz there. And I want to hear from you. Which goddess did you get? Come on over and say hi on Instagram. If we're not friends there already, then we should be come and say hello. Even certain emotions, like you were talking a little earlier about the, you know, this belief that my emotions are going to kill me. And it's like, well, that conditioning is rife from this puritanical kind of um, legacy we have left over from patriarchy, which thank goodness we are just starting to wake up out of, but it doesn't serve anyone, right? Um, Whatever gender we are. And it's, is, it is, it, it, imposes on our sexuality and imposes on our choices in our relationships. But it also, like you're saying, it's like that puritanical ideal has us feeling like we shouldn't feel certain feelings. Yeah. Also related to other humans, right? Like we shouldn't be attracted to anyone else if we're in love, mm-hmm. which yeah. is kind of impossible. It is. Um, you know, for me, my first consensual sexual experiences were always with Uh, females. Mm -hmm. And I thought that I was just exploring, (laughs) you know? Um, and then I, I got into a relationship with a woman, um, when I was 19 and, and I knew that I was gay. Um, but I, I didn't feel safe in that because I believed that I needed a male partner in order to be okay in this world. Yeah. I really did. I, I denied that part of myself and I'm not saying that I'm not attracted to men. I identify as gay. I guess I really hate putting even a label on it. I guess I would identify myself as pansexual, which means I don't care about gender. However, if I was not in this relationship with Evan, I would never, I don't think I would ever be in a relationship with a man again. And so when I started to date um, my husband, my now husband, Evan, he knew I was very open about the fact that I was bisexual. And it's, it's really interesting because I grew up in a family where divorce was really normal. My dad has been married and divorced eight times. He was a serial cheater. Mm. And, um, just burnt down every every relationship he'd ever had. And my mom has been married and divorced three times and engaged. I think she's about to be on her sixth engagement right now. And so I was never modeled healthy relationship. I was modeled possessiveness, fear, control, um, toxicity, unhealthy, you know, power struggles and dynamics, all of that stuff. And so when I got married to my husband, after six months of knowing each other with a 15-year age gap at 20 years old, I said, listen, I love you. He was, he is, he was then, he is now my person. Like we, it doesn't matter his gender. Like we are soulmates. Like there's no doubt in my mind that, that we are meant to do life together forever. Um, And so, but it's so interesting because 20 year old Alexis was like the one thing that I said, I will work through anything with you. You could relapse. You can, he's also sober uh, 15, 16 years. And um, I, you know, we'll work through anything, but if you cheat on me, I'm done. 
That was my one thing at 20 years old. And what's so interesting is about two years ago, I was in a deep depression because I had been denying my sexuality for so long. And, and that's the thing is like Evan as incredible of of a partner that he is, he will never be able to fulfill that need for intimacy with women that I have for the desire to be in a relationship with a woman. He just won't. And that, that's okay. Right. Like it's just what it is. Um, and I was in this deep depression and I had this moment in, um, meditation where I was like, where like my, my feminine energy came roaring out and was like, fucking free yourself. Like you don't have to do this. Like, do what you want. And it was interesting because it was right at a point where I had really finally healed those final chapters of my sexual abuse where, um, I think the final, the final piece was reclaiming my sexuality. Yeah. Right. And isn't that so beautiful that like the final piece of healing my sexual abuse was reclaiming my sexuality and my body mm-hmm. and acknowledging what my body wants. My body wants to be intimate with women. Like my body yeah. needs that. My body's craving that. My body, and it's like, I had shut that down for so long because I was like, you should be happy. You're in a marriage. What would people think? You know, what if this leads to divorce? If you talk to him about it, all of those things were bubbling up. But mm. I was like, my depression was like, this is why you're depressed. So yeah. you need to do with this, you know, yeah. isn't that so interesting? The way that our bodies communicate through depression, through anxiety, through all of these different, you know, even physical ailments that they're needing, it's needing us to, to listen to it. Please listen to me is what my body was yeah. saying. Yes. Yeah, so powerful. I really think that so much of all you just described, emotional, physical ailments come from this control, which comes mm-hmm. from that puritanical conditioning you're talking about of like, I have to use all of my psychic and subconscious and conscious energy to hold this part of me rejected and repressed and apart. And so mm-hmm. it's so beautiful to hear you talk about this, like return to sexual wholeness. I love the light in your eyes when you talk about being with a woman. Mm. So if it feels aligned and inspired, what do you love most about being with a woman? What's so, what, what feels special to you? Uh, just even thinking about it. Yeah. Like I feel like the warm, I feel the warm and fuzzy energy. <laughs> um, it's a different kind of intimacy. It's slower. It's methodical. It's magical. It's, it feels like just, it feels literally like magic to me. I don't know. Mm. Yeah. It's the, it's the patience. It's knowing their body so well that they know my body so well. It's, Mm -hmm. that's not to say that my sex, sexual, sorry, that's not to say that my sex with Evan isn't that because he is a very, he is a pleaser. 
He is someone who listens, who takes direction, who like our sex is incredible. And sex this morning with him, it was great. I was like, hey, I'm in the mood. Let's have sex. And and it was so good. Oh my God. It was so good. Like we we are so in tune. But it's the little things. Um it's like being embraced. It, it, it's it's just different. I mean, yeah. Um, it's feeling her curves. It's embracing her body. It's. I think um, it's interesting because I'm obviously very feminine, um, and and the girls that I'm attracted to are more in the middle. Um, uh, with regards to their energy, not necessarily presentation, the way that they identify or look, but within their energy. So, you know, most of the women that I've dated so far have assumed that, um, that I'm just like a receiver, right. That I just like Mm -hmm. to like have this experience and have, you know, be the receiver on the receiving end, but it's like, no. And I think that that's the thing that hurts so much in this, uh, breakup that I'm going through right now is that like I miss her body like oh god I feel myself getting emotional right now yeah. like I just like miss being in her arms and like feeling her and appreciating her and um pleasing her and all of those things it's just different I mm-hmm. I um I was saying to a friend of mine um she goes, well, what? I don't, I still don't understand. Like, what's it like? I'm like, okay. The other day I was at her house and I, we were about to go out and she came up to me and she told me how beautiful I looked. And then she noticed that the clasp on my necklace was at the bottom and she slowly like adjusted it for me. And then she kissed me on my forehead and in that moment, I was like, oh, it's just, it's that, it, that, that it's, you're removing yourself. This is what it is. This is what it is. You're moving out of the male gaze and into the female gaze. Oh, oh. yeah. Everyone listening can understand that. Where, where I imagine uh. wherever you fall on the sexuality <laughs> spectrum, because think about that age old saying of like women dress for women. <laughs> you know, or like, and that's a little bit in the gender binary, but I think the essence of that that we can take from Mm -hmm. is like, it's beautiful to be under the gaze of the goddess or the God, both are beautiful or the divine being that transcends both genders, but there is a beautiful essence to the goddess. Mm -hmm. Um, Me and my friend often joke, we just say one word when we talk about women, we're like softness. It's Uh. like, women's skin, our lips, our faces, our bodies like this, mm-hmm. you know, men can be soft too, but women generally are very soft. Yeah. Yeah. It's, <laughs> so it is, it's that. So it, it's, it's, um, it's been really liberating. So Evan and I, two years ago, I, I, I started to explore this conversation with Evan about opening up our marriage and what that would look like for both him and for me. And we went really slow. We were very intentional about it. This is something that we talked about for almost two years before we finally decided to open up. And at first we tried, you know, to just like bring in a girl to Mm -hmm. our sexual experiences, but 
it's not for me. I am craving the emotional intimacy more than the sexual intimacy with a woman. I mean, or as like equally, but it just wasn't for me. And so we had that experience and I explained that to him and, and he was bummed. He was like, I thought you had a great time. I was like, I mean, it was a great time, but that's not what I'm, not what I'm looking for. Um, and so wasn't the yearning that you felt. No. And I'm so lucky that I have a partner who's just so patient and so understanding and so evolved because I was, I was holding myself back. I was so afraid of what people would think or how my children would be affected or all of the things. And he really was my rock who also was pushing me to do this. And so he goes, I want you to join Bumble. He was like, you need to join Bumble. And I was like, really? <laughs> and he's like, yeah, I want you to make an account right now, make an account right now. And I did. And I, I matched with this girl who the relationship didn't end up working out. But in, in that first experience, um, of being intimate with her. I remember one, the panic, the anxiety, and what was so nice about being with her. And I'm not saying that this is the case for all women, because like I said, many women are programmed still through the male gaze and through that imbalanced masculine energy. And so not every woman that you would necessarily be with is in alignment with what you're hoping for. Mm -hmm. Um, and there's still toxic masculinity in, uh, the lesbian community and in every Mm -hmm. human. Yes. Mm -hmm. Um, but I remember I was having anxiety because I was like, Oh my God, you know, all the thoughts of I'm cheating on my husband and Oh my God, like all the things, even though I wasn't cheating on my husband because my husband was like, go on the date. I can't wait to hear like how (laughs) lovely she is. Like just do it. I, <laughs> you know? Literally, side note, I have to say I had a, a similar, not not the same on the same level experience, but recently I had a friend kiss me and I and like go to kiss me. And I was like, oh, this is nice. And I was like, wait. And that anxiety, I was like, Patrick. And she was like, is, is it, have you guys not discussed this? And I was like, well, uh, I was just like, and, I, and we had, but it'd been years. So yeah. I just still wasn't sure. And I had to clarify the boundary and which I did. And he was like, babe, <laughs> A, I trust you to to choose, you know, if you want to be with a woman, I trust your discernment. You're extremely discerning with your sexual energy. You're extremely well-bounded. Like that sounds amazing. Have a great time. But in, and I knew that's what he would say, but in the moment I just resonate with that anxiety of being like, am I cheating on my partner? And I was like, it's, why is that there? Do you think this like guard dog that comes up, even if we've had patriarchy, (laughs) the programming, right? Like the programming of, of, Uh, I had feelings of like, what if he's just tricking me and he's doing this so he has an excuse to leave, which what's the root of that? I'm unworthy, right? Mm. I'm unworthy of having my needs met and being in a healthy relationship dynamic, right? We got to always check what's the underlying core Mm. belief and where did that come from? And it was like, oh, when I was six years old or whatever it might be, right? So it's like, got to look at that. Um, But what was so, so all of the programming and all of the things were coming up and, and she could feel it. She could sense it in my body. And she just yeah. held me. And she was like, we don't have to do this yet. And I was like, oh, okay. 
you know, and like what man <laughs> notices the shift and energy? Hopefully, I mean, yeah. yeah, but very few notice that shift in energy and will just hold you and embrace you and be like, hey, we can take our time here and we don't have mm-hmm. to rush. And yeah. I calmed down and um, we started kissing again and that fire lit in me and I felt alive again. And I was like, Oh, this is what's been missing. Yeah. (laughs) And and it goes back to my theme of welcome home, you know, really, truly like, okay, goddess, welcome home. Like you Mm. get to have this. And it's so interesting because I can literally feel the shift in my root and sacral. I do Reiki. So, um, I'm so sensitive to that. I could feel the shift in my root and sacral chakra like the second that I let go and allowed that to happen. It was like the energy was just like, like, yes. (laughs) It was so great. Yes. Yes. It was so good Um, to have that. So, Yeah. So incredible. What advice would you give to anyone listening? I, you know, you're sharing so bravely and courageously about the fear that came up for you and these thoughts that you'd been having for a while and, you know, that this had been inside of you. If there's anyone listening who may feel similarly, that they have more to who they are sexually, whatever that means to them, mm-hmm. that feels outside of the heteronormative culture that feels outside of what is quote unquote going to be accepted by society or family or friends or culture, whatever. What would you say to those people? Oh, um, this, this journey for me, it's just, it's not for the faint of heart, but (laughs) you know, because since coming out, I mean, wow. Um, even it's so interesting because even my most liberal friends were shaming fear-based right just like operating in in fear um what are some things to not say to people (laughs) who have just come out just for like a PSA if that feels good to share things to not say or things to say I'll also say this which is so interesting is when I came out and I talked about the fact that we're opening our marriage the biggest response that I got was is Evan okay? Mm. Why are we so conditioned to care more about men than women? Yeah, wow. I That was so shocking to me because even like our close, close friends who knew that I was bisexual for the last, you know, however long we've been friends, even like up to a decade, were so concerned and they felt like bad for Evan as if Evan was being held hostage in this marriage. Um, as if he's not, you know, able to explore his own sexuality and his own needs. And even though he's not choosing to do that right now, because, um, you know, I, I think for Evan, so we do have this, age gap and he he's very much so like listen I married you when I was 36 I had a lifetime 
of exploring and playing and all of the things. And you didn't, you literally, you got sober at 19, married to me at 20, have raised our kids, have dedicated your life to us. Please go, enjoy, have fun, explore all of the things. But it's not like, it's not like he doesn't have the option though. And so it was just so interesting to me that people, um, uh, were so concerned about Evan's well-being, um, as if I was just some bitch who like just upended our lives. Um, It's scarcity mentality too, right? Because it's this idea that this win-loss, extractive, capitalistic Mm -hmm. scarcity programming that really fucks up our sex life, as opposed to realizing that if your root and sacral is alive, if your wife, partner, soulmate is alive with pleasure, that begets more pleasure and aliveness. Yes, our marriage (laughs) is doing better now than it ever has before. I find myself, I've been at my one, okay, well, this previous girlfriend, we're, we're just friends now, but I would be, I would spend the weekend at her house and I would find myself missing him and, you know, just honoring how much I love him and how special the relationship that we have is. It's not taking away. And and that's something that I'll also say about opening up our marriage. And we had this conversation where I made it very clear that it was more than sex for me, that I was actually wanting to be in a relationship with a woman. And um, Evan got a little scared And he said, can I come back to you in a couple of days and let you know how I feel about this? I said, sure. And so we were sitting on the couch one night and he goes, you know, it's like when you have a child and you have that first child and you're pregnant with your second, you're like, how could I possibly create more love? Like, I don't understand. Like, am I going to have to take some love away? Of course not. Your heart just grows and creates more space for love. And I think that we've been so programmed that you find your soulmate, your one person that you're going to love for the rest of your life, as if you don't have the capability as a spiritual being incarnated in this human experience to love as many fucking people (laughs) as you want to love. Why can't you love? Yes. I remember Endlessly. an ex-boyfriend saying that to me. He was like, it's the law of diminishing returns, you know, the, mm. and you know, the more, cause about saying, I love you. Cause to the people I love, I fucking tell them that I love them every day. And mm-hmm. he would be like, Oh, like, don't say it. It will be less special. And I looked at him. I said, every time you tell your mom, you love her. Do you love her less? Cause it's <laughs> diminishing. Yeah. He's like, no. I was like, there you go, honey. It doesn't diminish. It's not some scarce, no. vapid external resource that we have to beg for and be in power struggle over. It's like this rich, infinite well within each of us yes. that, you know, and I think that the big distinction point here is, and this is where a lot of people get lost, is that whether you're in an open or a monogamous or a polyamorous or any configuration of relationship, you can fuck it up, right? Like you can have negative intentions, you can have shadow, or you can do it and hearing what you're saying, this level of honoring and reverence and communication and intention Whatever is true and loving, whatever is in honor of the deepest consciousness of each of you, because if you think about conscious partnership, the definition essentially is to use partnership as a container for self-actualization. And if one person is feeling shackled and then they're not able to be themselves within that container, then then that's not self-actualization. That container gets to adjust and grow. And so, you know, how can we judge someone else's container if they're doing 
what they need to do to support each other in self-actualizing. Like that's soulmate shit. Yeah. I'm like in reverence. I'm, I'm celebrating you, my love. Thanks. Very excited. And, and that <laughs> is the difference. And I think, you know, so many of my um, family and friends who are in heteronormative relationships who have been married and divorced multiple times had the most to say. <laughs> and I'm like, well, I don't know if like, monogamous marriage is really working for a lot of people. It doesn't really seem like it is. And that's no shade. It's just, it makes you question why is this the norm? Right. I I don't know who set the rules here, but like this isn't the norm. Totally. And people think, okay, well, um, instead of working on things and making adjustments and saying, okay, well, we're not feeling satisfied here. They think there's something wrong or broken about me, you, or this relationship. So let's end it and start a new one with someone else and then go through the same cycle with them. And there's this like serial cycling happening and you never get to the point of conscious partnership, which is truly addressing the childhood wounds and letting the the relationship be the container that actually heals them. There's a lot of relationship therapists that talk about like, yeah, we want to be autonomous and have responsibility for ourselves. That's a huge part. But truly when we heal is when we're in a sacred container and partnership where we actually honor the needs of our relationship. I agree that I always say that we are this whole, um, uh, this whole dynamic that we hear a lot about and, or the, the, the theme that we hear in a lot of self-help communities is that is self-help and it's a lie built on this um, idea of the individual that we are so um, disconnected from the collective and we're fed this lie that like we have to be the toughest the strongest make it all work on our own because that's how capitalism thrives right it it pulls us away from collective ism. And, um, and so we're told, Oh, well, I've got to go to therapy on my own. I've got to heal on my own and then come back to you. But it's interesting because my husband and I own a drug and alcohol treatment center where, um, our motto is connection, not control, because we know Mm. that we heal in communion with one another. We heal in communion with one another. You actually need human connection to thrive. And so we've been fed this lie that, that this is a solo mission. And in some regards it is because we have Mm -hmm. to take responsibility for our, for our work. But my work really began in communion with Evan. Me too. In partnership. (sighs) It really, it, it really, when you get, when you get a person that's actually a healthy dynamic, And this is what I say to clients all the time. The difference is, A, they don't have to be perfect. Are they willing to grow and change and and together, A? And B, do you feel empowered in the relationship to also do your work? It's not that you won't Mm -hmm. have to do it, you will. But do you feel empowered by them in the relationship to do it? Or do you feel dominated, suppressed, rejected, alone, isolated, whatever it is? It's like, I love what you said, because it is like we do have to take responsibility for ourselves and mainly our inner children. Because they're the ones that project the unconditional desires outward. They're like, I want unconditional love. I want to be unconditionally seen. I want unconditional this. And they project it outward and cause havoc and chaos in our lives until we say, I'm your parent. I'm here to meet your needs. I love you. I'm here. And then from that place, and hey, can you help me? Hey, I'm experiencing this. And then we move outward. But I love that. What did you say? Uh, Connection over control. Yeah. 
that we have to we have to choose connection and not control and and allow people to show up as who they are and Mm. and that and that's really love right it's like Mm. that's what love really is it's it's this it's this freedom I think um I keep talking about feeling so free and it, and it's true. I feel so connected to Evan and yet so free to be me. And it is such a yes. beautiful, um, dynamic. Um, I, you had asked me what my advice would be for people to support people who just came out. And I will say, mm-hmm. I think the hardest part of all of this for me is that no one's really checked in on me. Mm. like at all i i've i've come out publicly um and it has not been easy um and i haven't there's maybe two people in my life who have reached out and said hey are you okay like how is this going what does this look like and if you have questions i am that's the thing is like if you have like an earnest question, like if you're really coming from a good place and you're like, I want to know how, how does this work? Um, I'm fine and happy to, to talk about that. But when it's coming from a place of fear, I love Glennon Doyle in her book, how she talks about when she met Abby and they decided to be together and her mom was operating in a lot of fear about what this would do to the children. And Abby said, you know, it's like you're on an Island, you create your little Island and you have to be so brave and you, you can't allow other people's fear onto the Island because it sinks the ship, like everything goes down. And so it's like, I don't have space. The people who are coming out who are being so brave don't have the space to hold your hand to work through your own fear. Mm-hmm. If you want to come and dissect and, and explore and are coming from a place of like love, cool. If yeah. you're coming from a place of fear mentality and all that stuff, go work that stuff out on your own and then we can have a conversation. But I will yeah. say it's been really lonely. It's been really challenging. I have not had really anybody reach out and just check in with how I'm doing. Mm. Um, it's like I said, it's mainly been, um, lots of invasive questions and concern for Evan and for the kids as if somehow this is like damaging my children. It's not, my children have always known that I've been bisexual. I have always said it from the beginning when we're having conversations around sexuality, obviously age appropriate about consent, about our body parts, about love, about relationship, about all of these things. By the time that Harper, my oldest, who's eight, was five, she understood that men can love, that anybody can love anybody and that being gay meant this and being a lesbian meant this and being pansexual meant this and being a bisexual means this. And the difference between the love that you have for a friend and the love that you have for a crush. And, you know, because she was like, am I bisexual? Because I love my friends and blah, blah, blah. And I go, no, you just maybe love your friends. And, you know, it's, a, it's about the feelings that you have, you know, how you have a crush on so-and-so in your class. You know, if you had a crush for, you know, uh, Susie <laughs> in your class too, then maybe you would be bisexual. I don't know. But I've mm-hmm. always said, you know, mommy's bisexual and, and uh, we've always talked about the consent, right? So, um, Dakota, 
and, and it's always, it's not something that I bring up. It's something that they bring up. So Dakota, my now littlest, who's five, um, comes home and says, I had two boyfriends at preschool, mom. I have, you know, whatever their names are, Tyler and Ashton. And I go, oh, that's so interesting that you have two boyfriends. And Harper will go, you can't have two boyfriends. And I go, ah, oh, but wait, she can as long as everybody knows that she has two boyfriends and that it's consensual, that everybody understands the dynamic of the relationship. So it's just little things like that. <laughs> and, and here's the thing. It's like, the reason why we don't think this is okay is because our parents told us that it wasn't okay. And so we think that it's wrong. So what we need to do is to be telling our kids that there are spectrums and that yes. maybe you want to be in a monogamous relationship and maybe you don't, and maybe you want to open up and maybe you don't. And, and our children are so much more emotionally capable and intellectually capable than we give them credit for Harper, who my oldest, you know, noticed that I was sad yesterday and she came into my room and she said, mommy, why are you sad? And I said, because my relationship with Kim is ending and that's very sad for, for me. And she said, I'm really sorry, mom. I hope that you feel better soon. It's that easy. My child is not traumatized because I have a relationship with another person outside of her father because I'm intentional about it. I remember you said something so profound on my podcast about having intention and attention. It was something like that. Mm -hmm. And it's, we are doing this so intentionally. I'm not leaving my family and going away for weeks on end with my girlfriend, you know? It's like, it's about the balance. There is nothing wrong with me having a weekend or two off a month. I'm with my children every single day, all day long, because they're not in school because of this pandemic. So and they're would anyone okay. have anything to do? Like, would anyone have any questions if you were having a weekend or two off and you were doing anything else, you know? So why does it... Exactly. It doesn't count the same way. And what I'm hearing you say, actually, is that you're gifting your kids with a deeper level of emotional intelligence, emotional negotiation skills, conscious communication, because they get to think about more complex situations and therefore they're invited to develop a deeper understanding. And I think that the studies show that actually for polyamorous uh, families is that their kids just don't necessarily turn out to have open or poly relationships. It's an option that they realize perhaps more than others, but that they just usually the, the, the thing that does happen is that they have better communication and emotional skills and better community building skills. Yes. So Becca, who is one of the girls from Bachelor Franchise, um, reached out to me via social media when I came out and everyone was worried about my kids and, you know, having really awful things to say. Um, mm-hmm. There is this amazing podcast called Sex Out Loud with um, Tristan Tao Marino. And she had an expert on, let me see if I can find the episode. Um, but she had an expert on her podcast where they, uh, Dr. Elizabeth Sheff, and um, they, she wrote a book about her studies with over 20 years of looking at children and polyamorous relationships. 
And what they found was not only were the parents happier because they had additional help with their children, because really we are supposed to be living in tribes, in community (laughs) with each other, taking care of each other's children and and sharing the workload and all of that stuff. But the children were more emotionally intelligent. They had um, better relationship skills, communication skills. Um, Some went on to be in polyamorous relationships. Some did not, um, you know, but the the end of the day is that they felt the children felt supported um, in whatever their choice might be. They felt that they 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 didn't have um, the pressure to be in a relationship that looks a certain way, which I think, Mm -hmm. God, I mean, if you think about it, the way that we communicate with our young children, um, even when they're babies of, Oh, he's going to be a little heartbreaker or she's going to be, you know, it's like, Jesus, like what are are we teaching our children here? Um, I'll put that in the show notes for people. If anybody wants to listen, it came out February 1st of this year. Um, and, and you know what it did is it really solidified that like, I, I am on the right path, even though this feels scary because it does, this feels really scary. I'm going against everything that feels or everything that I'm told that's should be normal or natural to, to really tapping into just what feels good. And when you Mm -hmm. do that, um, it often, it, it feels really scary. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I want to, I want to touch on that in a broader sense. Like earlier, as you were sharing about your story and you went through so much at such a young age and you shared on national television and, it, and as you're sort of speaking now about courageously going against the grain in our conditioning, which I really believe is is what we are asked to do again and again and again on the journey to wholeness. It, it's, it's as you said, it's not for the faint of heart to really again and again see where are we shackled by conditioning. And so for anyone listening, because I hear this from clients a lot, the deep fear is this fear of humiliation, this fear of what if people don't like me? What mm. if I um, fall and people see me? As someone who has been witnessed in the public eye again and again coming up against your conditioning, falling, rising, going through this process, which most people would be so afraid to ever face. And yet here you stand thriving, brave, alive, living, free, growing. What what would you share for people that are so afraid of those things that they don't go against the grain or the conditioning that's shackling them? They don't do the thing that their heart is yearning to do. Yeah, I, I I really empathize so much with um, with people who know they want something more, but continuously don't choose themselves. That's really what it comes yes. down to. It comes down to making a choice to choose you. Yes. And in this society where we're so programmed to be selfless especially as women we are conditioned to be selfless um and i don't think that the opposite of selfishness or selflessness is selfishness everyone so interesting because even with the girl that i'm seeing right now 
she's like, I'm really taking this time. I, I've always been so selfless and now I'm being selfish. And I said, I, I don't think it's selfish. I think it's wholeness. I think it's yes. just taking care of yourself. Like, <laughs> I don't think that that needs a negative connotation there. Like it's yes. just, it's wholeness. It's just taking care of your soul. Um, listen, we, the chances of us incarnating on this planet at this time is close to 0%, right? Like (laughs) it is a gift that we are here, even when it doesn't feel like a gift. And so my thought was always, what am I going to do with this life that I've been given and with this opportunity that, that I have to be here? Am I going to work the nine to five? Am I going to constantly be stressed in, in fear mode? Am I going to operate from fear all the time? Am I going to be in this heteronormative relationship and die like this? I mean, that was a big thing for me, Angel, was I, I imagined myself sitting across the table for my two daughters at 18 and 21 years old. And, um, and telling them, you know, that I was gay and that I decided not to come out because I was too scared to, and telling them that I stayed um, in this relationship dynamic, even though it was, I was suffering and telling them and, and thinking, would they be proud of me? Yeah. And the answer Mm -hmm. was fuck no, (laughs) that it is actually my obligation to be fiercely and bravely like who I am for them. Mm. It's not necessarily even for me. It it is, but it's also for them. It's because I want them to choose. I want my daughters to choose them every time, Mm. period. No matter Mm. what, I want them to choose them. You have a responsibility to choose yourself. And that isn't selfish Mm-mm. as it isn't selfish. So long as you're in the work and you're knowing what your you've worked through a, a lot of your choice. conditioning. Yeah. Yeah. Your subconscious programming, all of the things, mm. right? Because yes, narcissism is very is real, real. <laughs> very real, very, That's very a real, real thing. Y'all I want to say that, but I want them to say like, this is what I want. And this is what I expect to ask for that raise or to leave their job or to f- fucking stand up for themselves. And I-, I want them to do that every single time. And I want every person out there every human being out there to have the opportunity to do this work and to start choosing themselves and to see the way that the pieces of your life just click into place so effortlessly. Mm. You know, I talked about that, that shift that I felt in my body that I can still feel that moment. That's liberation. You, everybody yes. deserves that liberation. And, yes. you know, um, I remember my early days of sobriety, my sponsor said to me, she said, um, 
you know, and I'm so glad that I had her. I'm no longer a part of 12 step communities, but I had this really awesome sponsor who's like super spiritual and just, oh, she was a goddess. And she said to me, she goes, um, the spiritual path is not the easier path. It's way easier to keep checking out of your life and use drugs, even though it sucks and you keep going to jail and all the things. Because the spiritual path is not the easier path, but it is the path that is so rewarding that leaves you feeling fully alive, stronger than you ever knew that you were, and and capable. It is the thing that gives you self-esteem. It is the thing mm-hmm. that... Um, gives you that inner freedom that lights that fire within you. And I feel so bad. I feel like so many people are walking around on automatic pilot, just like zombies day in and day out doing the same thing. And we don't have to live like this anymore. We don't have to live like this anymore. Yeah. Um, May everyone listening risk being themselves, risk being who they really are because the suffering of not is far greater than the risk Mm -hmm. of falling or failing or fucking up or being rejected or unliked. As you say, it's like we abandon ourselves to avoid abandonment from others. And yet Mm -hmm. the ultimate wound is that we've abandoned ourselves. So yeah, I hope this podcast for everyone listening was just an invitation to, to that, to risk being who you are for the rich rewards and also to check your internal biases around Mm. relationship dynamics, sexuality. If something arose for you in this podcast, really checking in and owning your trigger. Where is that bias inside of you? And where does that come from? And is it actually true? Because other people's choices don't threaten ours. That's not real. (laughs) (laughs) Wait, repeat that. Other people's choices don't, don't threaten you. ours. Yeah, they don't <laughs> threaten ours. That's that's the thing that happens though for people out there. Like, yeah. oh my God, you're opening up your marriage. What does that say about mine? About mine. Fear. And it yeah. brings up the fear of loss about their partner. It's nothing to do with your relationship. Their choice is not threatening your choice. You are safe. Yeah. You're all good. <laughs> yeah. Maybe our listeners, I'm sure they're very woke, didn't get triggered at all, but it's yeah. just a good thing to check. We, you know, we it's not that we are bad people. We've grown up in a world that is, you know, queerphobic, transphobic all of this conditioning around sexuality and monogamy. So this, these things have been placed inside of us and it's our job as woke folks to check in, feel that, take responsibility for it and heal it so that we can be brave and safe spaces for everybody, whoever they are as themselves. Oh my gosh, my love. I feel lit. I could talk to you forever, but you're at time. If it feels good, I wanted to move into some rapid fire questions. Okay. Alrighty. So who has been your most important teacher? Oh, the world. Mm. I mean, it's all of the things, right? It's my soul contract, you know, it's just all of it. Life itself. Life (laughs) itself. What book do you gift or recommend to people the most? Ah, I just mentioned it. It's so good. It's uh, The Places That Scare You by Pema Children. So good. Everyone should mm-hmm. read it. I actually haven't read that. I mean, so good. Someone comes to you and they're feeling really down and you can only give them one piece of advice. What do you say? That it's temporary. Oh my gosh. Isn't that, I think my favorite temporary. quote is Pema Children, which mm-hmm. is you are the sky and everything else is just the weather. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, you just reminded me of that. 
What's the most important thing for successful relationships? Healthy communication. Mm -hmm. If you could be any animal, what animal would you be? Um, That's a hard one. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I'd say a lion. I can see that for sure. Yeah. Yes. A lioness. If you could have one superpower, what would it be? It would be like... I kind of already have this, but like the ability to like heal people with my hands, but to make it like rapid. Yeah. <laughs> just turn it up I mean? a little. Yeah. Turn it, <laughs> amplify it. <laughs> yes. I love that all our work guests are like, well, I kind of already have a superpower and it's, and I'm like, this is a really good conditioning to be blasting out to people. It's like, yes. Um, what's the best or worst sex advice that you've ever received? Oh, I think it was just like the, con- the, all of the conditioning that I had that through the male gaze, you know, to like act a certain way or be a certain mm. way, or, you know, it just, it ended up being a lot of unpleasant sexual experiences because I thought, you know, I've got to like finish fast or be very mm. vocal or wherever it might be. Oh, and that's another beautiful thing about being with women is it's just like, they understand that it takes time to reach that orgasm. And, and the thing that's so nice about being with women too, is like the goal isn't necessarily orgasm. It is sensual experience. Like we don't have to just come over and over and over again. It is like the peaks and valleys of the whole ride. (laughs) That is abundance mentality in sexuality. You guys have heard me say it so many times. Pleasure for the sake of pleasure itself. Yes. Yes. Thank you. Preach. We could do a whole podcast on that. Maybe we will. Um, If you could only take one spiritual practice or one tool with you to a deserted island, what would it be? Uh, Meditation. I mean, come on. Classic for a reason now. Yes. (laughs) It is the bread and butter. (laughs) Yes. What's your favorite thing that you own? I would say all of my crystals. I mm. rely, I mean, if you saw my bedside table right now, you'd be like, whoa, girl. <laughs> um, I would say, I would say uh, it's hard. It's a toss up between amethyst and smoky quartz. But I really, mm. as someone who's so sensitive to energy, who is often feeling like zapped and depleted, like, holding my crystals and, and allow it, like having a deep relationship with them and allowing them to heal me has changed my mm. life. Little side note. Can you tell us a little bit about smoky quartz? Cause people keep gifting that to me. My grandmother, <gasps> when she passed, gave me a giant, beautiful smoky quartz ring. It's in Australia. When they let me back in, I'll get it. And on my altar, one of my best girlfriends, when she came and gave me like a welcome present, it was a smoky quartz. And I was like, okay, there's something here. What are um, they? There is. So like the quartz family, um, clear quartz is for uh, connecting with our higher selves. It's kind of like the the stone of all stones, right? Um, mm. And smoky quartz is an extension of that, but it has really grounding energy. And so I like the smoky quartz because it absolutely makes me feel like grounded and rooted, but also really connected to my higher self. And so it's just yes. like this balance that is so, um, so nice. 
Um, but yeah, that's what I use. Angelic, but with a bit of bad bitch, which is nice. Exactly. (laughs) Right. It feels like it is like the ultimate balance between the divine feminine and masculine and all of these energies. It's just, it's really, it is balancing. It is grounding. Um, and it is one of my go-tos. I keep them in my car. I keep smoky quartz and selenite in my car. Mm. Well, and also, (laughs) but I also 55 other crystals (laughs) if you saw my purse my girlfriend picked up my purse the other day and she goes why the fuck is your purse so heavy and I go take a look inside it's like citrine amethyst (laughs) clear quartz adventuring she's like what the fuck is going on here kind of yeah actually (laughs) Patrick collects rocks and then I'll be like carrying my handbag on holidays and I'm like why is my bag so heavy and I look and there's all these rocks and stones and crystals that he's found. I'm like, oh baby. (laughs) Oh my God. Anyway, we digress. If you could eat one meal before you die, what would it be? Oh, tacos. Hands down. I fucking love tacos. What kind of tacos? Tacos. (laughs) Talk dirty Uh, to me. (laughs) uh, Really, I'm a big fan of any kind of tacos. Um, But I think tacos feel like comfort food as someone who's like a Southern California born and raised native Mm. here. um, There's nothing like street tacos at like two in the morning that, you know, Mm. it's just, yeah, I am a big fan of of tacos. um, (laughs) And so, yeah, that would be my last meal. Tacos, some chips and guac. Yum. Okay. Is there also last follow up question? You know, I love food, girl. Is there a best taco place in LA or or in the world that you love? You're like, this is the best taco place for me. Um, There are so many, but the best taco place is actually not a place at all. It's a taco stand at a gas station on the corner of La Brea, (laughs) La Brea and San Vicente. You heard it here first, folks. <laughs> you can go stand. The line is literally around the block all of the time. They're not always open. It's literally at a gas station right there on that corner. Oh my God, bless. I love <laughs> food tips like this. And last one, if there was a universal answering machine that you could leave a 15 second note on that everyone in the world would hear today, what would you say? I would say that your inherent nature is is to be peaceful and happy and that I'm so sorry that we've all lost our way and gotten off that track, but that it's possible to get back there, that our, um, we are meant to be free. We are meant to be in touch with ourselves and to be loved and to be happy most of the time and mm. that we you can get back there. Mm. I think that's my biggest, that's my, my theme right now is, you know, in, in Buddhism, um, that's, that's your Dharma, right? Like that's your path, right? It's like, we come here, there's some suffering, there's some challenges, but the path of our Dharma, that is the path to our enlightenment, to our personal freedom. And then karma is just anytime that we accidentally get off the path. And then what Mm -hmm. happens is this karmic experience happens and it brings us back to the path and um and that it gets better oh my god it gets so much better (laughs) keep going it gets better we can put that one on a billboard it gets better (laughs) keep going it gets better (laughs) oh my god 
Yeah. Bless my love. Thank you so much for being here, for sharing so vulnerably your wisdom and just really for your courage. I see you. I appreciate Mm you. Thank you. Where can people find you? Oh, well, um, my podcast is on a hiatus right now until October. And then we're making our um, return. I took a little mental health, um, spiritual health break. Um, but my podcast is called recovering from reality. You can follow me on Instagram at, um, recovering from reality or at it's Alexis Haynes is my personal account. I have my life reset course, which I love. And if you or someone, you know, needs treatment, please visit our website, at com. And yeah. Thanks. Yay. Thank you so much, mama. Do you want to know which goddess archetype you are most like in love and sex? I have a free quiz that takes just a few minutes and we identify the most dominant goddess archetype that shows up for you in the bedroom and in love. And then I break down the shadow side, the integrated side, and the bridge between them. So the keys that you need if you are in the shadow side of this archetype, the keys you need to move into the more integrated expression of this goddess in your love and sex life. This has been life-changing work for me. It's so simple, it's so powerful, and I'm so excited to share it with you. So the easiest way to find the quiz is to head on over to my Instagram, which is at Angelika Alana, A-N-G-E-L-I-K-A-A-L-A-N-A, and click the link in my bio, and you'll see the button to take the free quiz there. And I want to hear from you. Which goddess did you get? Send me a message on Insta. I love making new connections and deepening with my community. Yes, I'm looking at you. Come and say hi, and I'll see you here for the next podcast in a fortnight.